And now the conclusion of Sean McBride's Another Ace in the Hole, read by James Paul Xavier. The death card flared in his mind. It was bright white, lending the only light to a backdrop of pure black. Hank felt warm, his gaze transfixed on the card. Warmth emanating from it and filling him with the pleasure that he had never known, making his loins hum below his large stomach. Hank looked down to see what was happening, why the warmth felt so amazing, but his gut wasn't there anymore. His stomach had shrunk down to a good level, a respectable level, and he could see straight down to his toes. But what was even more astonishing and frightening was that Down with all the tingling warmth, his penis stood fully erect. Tank looked at the card in the inky blackness and saw the glowing shift its focus and shine brightly down upon his groin. The light came off in waves, and as time progressed, the waves got brighter and came to him faster. Tank was frightened and tried to turn away, but the sensation the light was bringing was too overpowering. It held him where he lay, making his legs shake and his chest heave. Tank's back arched, thrusting his groin into the pulsing light. Forgetting his fear, he lost himself in the sensation of the card's light beating down upon him. Pressure was building up inside him, and he blindly grasped for anything to hold on to while his hips shook. The light pulsated faster and faster, changing color from white to pink to bright red waves. Tank's strength failed, and he fell back to the bed, spent and sticky, feeling empty and relaxed. And he started to cry, feeling suddenly guilty, guilty at the act, guilty that it felt good, guilty that he was alone. Something had happened that didn't seem quite right. He felt tears running down his face as he looked back at the card. It was still glowing but the light switched back to soft phosphorescence as it floated before him. He contemplated the feeling it gave, the feeling of empowerment he had experienced when Ace and the others had attacked him the other day, and the sexual comfort it brought him now. He reached for the card and held it against his chest, next to his heart. The card hummed against his chest, soothing him with, soothing him with its reassuring warmth. He tried to focus on it, to relieve the guilt and renew the euphoria, but darkness crept in on him, and he slept. Tank was released the next day. No one spoke of his first wet dream, not to explain what it was, nor to berate or console him. To the people in the hospital, the wet dream was a normal, pubescent function. But to Tank, it meant something different altogether. It meant a connection with the card a link between fantasy and reality. He knew there was something different about that particular peculiar card. He thought maybe it was made specifically for him, as if it was his own personal savior, something to give him power and make him a man. When Tank got home, he immediately went to bed, wanting a repeat of the wet dream. However, none came. He spent a week at home after he left the hospital, most of it in his room, either sleeping or trying to understand the card. 
He hardly ate that week, telling his mom his stomach hurt. He would feign vomiting whenever his mother put food in front of him. In truth, he just wasn't hungry. It felt like his stomach had shrunk. He would drink a glass of water and feel full. It was working, too. He had lost 20 pounds since entering the hospital and had never felt better. In fact, when he vocalized that he wasn't hungry, he actually wasn't hungry. The only time hunger struck him now was when his mother made him eat, restarting his metabolism. And the only reason he complied was that his mother looked haggard. He could tell worry was eating away at her, and he knew the only way to ease her consternation was to eat. He was complacent in these trivialities, however, because there was something about the card he had to figure out. The card had levity to it, like a mist that passed through him like an ethereal goddess. Every wave that passed through him felt like ecstasy, more powerful than the caress of a woman's touch. It gave him strength, courage, and discipline. It gave him hope. The night before he headed back to school, Tank had another dream of the card. He had been home for a week and a half, and Province had forgotten all about taking legal action against the people who had attacked Tank. Her fear for his health was just too great. He had lost 30 pounds and had become merely chubby in his convalescence. Province, eaten up by fear, could only wonder at the cruelties of children. He was once big, so big that people generally didn't bother him. But what would happen when he went to school skinny? Tank, however, had other, more important things on his mind. In his youth, he had yet to find the fairer sex particularly attractive, and the wet dream didn't even really make sense to him. He didn't understand what had happened or what it meant, and it confused him. But when it happened again, he couldn't have been happier. Roberta Simmons. He wasn't sure if that was her name or not. He had never spoken to her, and had never even spent more than a couple of moments looking at her. But here she was in all her teenage beauty. He stared at her mosquito-bite breasts and her slightly distended stomach. She stood with a coquettish demeanor, a tinge of smile at the right corner of her mouth, her eyes burning hungrily at his malnourished form, her auburn blonde hair blowing slightly in a ubiquitous wind. His eyes trailed down her curves until they reached tender, soft peach fuzz, slowly growing thicker the lower he looked. It was uncharted territory. He felt no arousal as he drank her in, just curiosity. That is, of course, until the card came into view. Roberta's smirk grew larger, and her eyes betrayed her force of desire a soft white light glowing around her teenage body. Hank felt unsure of himself, unsure of what was expected of him. His stomach dropped. He felt nauseous, his head swimming. Her smirk disappeared, replaced by a look of hunger. She no longer looked 14. Now her body looked older, middle-aged, at least middle-aged to a 13-year-old boy. He took a step back, 
He took a small step back, feeling sweat break out on his forehead along with the emergence of menace into the atmosphere. It began in his shirt pocket again, intense and localized. Unwittingly, his right hand reached up to his pocket and clutched the card. His breath quickened as she approached him. She reached out with her right hand and caressed his ear, while the other hand wrapped around his waist. He didn't know what to do, what was expected. So he did the only thing that came naturally to him. He took the card out of his pocket, cognizant of his tumescence, and placed it in the center of her chest. Her eyes rolled back, and her mouth formed into an O, while he pressed his chest against hers, embracing the heat and channeling his heartbeat to match hers. Tanner felt loss of control in his throat, muttering, in a contiguous rhythm while pressure built. He didn't see what happened to her, how she reacted when the cancerous expulsion happened, because he sat bolt upright in bed, holding the card tight in his right hand and circled around his penis. He felt dampness spread across the blanket and immediately knew it had happened again. The shame was somewhat lessened this second time, however, as if he had expelled his guilt with the ejaculate. He felt relieved and smiled as he looked around his small bedroom. Today was his first day of school, and he would see Roberta Simmons, maybe catch a hint of her coy smile. Maybe he would kiss her. Maybe he would ask her to go steady. Tanner rose from bed and ran across the hall to the shower, smelling the wonderful fragrance of the full breakfast his mother had prepared. The empowerment he felt at the end of the dream didn't fade as he washed the semen from his body. It only grew as he donned his previously baggy clothes, which now billowed around him. He was in such elation that he didn't notice when he slipped the card into the back pocket of his pants, his ace, his wild card. He went downstairs, smiling more widely than his mother had ever seen. He didn't notice her reaction at the time, mostly because of his levity, but Province seemed to relax when she saw him, and for the first time since his stay at the hospital, she smiled. Tanner almost finished his breakfast that morning. He honestly tried, but his stomach had shrunk so much and the breakfast was just too large. He noticed his mother's expression, one of fear and tribulation, and smiled meekly as he leaned in to kiss her on the cheek. He wanted to tell her that he loved her and was sorry to cause her any strife, but instead, he simply turned and headed for the door. Outside, the air was cold, and he felt goosebumps pop up all over his body. Since he had lost so much weight, his clothes merely caught the wind instead of deterring it, and as a result, he shivered his entire way to school. By the time he arrived, he felt brittle. Tanner noted the blank stares of the other students. He knew he looked entirely different, but by most accounts, the majority of students hadn't ever seemed to notice him at all, let alone his absence from school. His will dropped. He had finally begun to think of himself as Tanner, the effulgent Tanner, the one who had lost all the weight. But the apathetic demeanor of his peers destroyed this image, subverting his self-image until he was again Tank the Nobody. Tank the fat ass. He felt joy leak from him. 
like steam rising from his head, replaced by much more cold and forlorn feeling. Did it even matter that he was there? Would he be missed from school? Should he just go? The front door looked more like the entrance to a prison than a high school. The teachers didn't care, and the students cared even less. No, he'd only be missed if these people needed a punching bag. He walked over to the curb and sat down, feeling tears well in his eyes. He would suppress it until he knew he was completely alone, of course, but the feeling was there nonetheless. When his butt hit the curb, he felt a sudden warmth. It surprised him, and he jumped up, swatting at his pants as if he had sat on a fire. But when he stood, the warmth faded. Then he remembered the card. Elation returned as he shoved his hand to his pocket. His strength returned, and he felt courage pushing out his depression. Who cares, he thought. They don't mean anything to me either. He walked through the front doors with gumption and stormed directly to his first class. That was the first day Tanner felt he learned anything in class. He felt confidence, and it made him see things in a new light. When he looked at the other students, he realized that the looks he had initially taken for disgust were actually obtuseness. They merely didn't recognize him. Later, when they realized who he was, they congratulated him on his changed appearance. His classmates' compliments amazed Tanner, but what actually got to him was that a select few weren't just being polite. They seemed to really mean it. He walked with pride in his step, like he was a lord walking among his subjects, and it lasted all day until it was time to come home. Tanner decided to walk right out the front doors, rather than slide out the side door, as had been his custom. That was his only mistake. Hey, fat fuck, where are you going? Tanner recognized the voice. It was the same voice that played over and over in his mind. Ace. He grabbed the card, squeezing it in his hand and feeling its warmth. Tanner tensed and stopped walking. He felt pressure build between his shoulder blades, and his stomach clenched. He even curled his toes to give himself extra traction. He had not tested how fast he could run after losing the weight. He fancied himself much faster, but this was not the venue in which he wanted to be tested. You gonna talk to me or you just gonna stand there, fatty? Fire burned in Tanner's palm. He felt it running up his arm and propelling its way down his back, streaming heat through his capillaries. He turned three shades of red, and his face wrinkled, eyes scrunched like a baby throwing a tantrum. He faced Ace. Ace stood at the top of the stairs, leading to the building, laughing, his crony standing on either side of him. Tanner felt the outline of an A burning into his palm, felt it pulsate with power, with heat. Then he saw the loose piece of concrete at the edge of the pathway. It was the size of a large rock, and must have weighed at least two or three pounds. Oh, look at the baby. I think he's gonna cry. He struggled to finish the sentence, breaking off into such fits of laughter that he leaned over and laid his hand on Ben Massey's shoulder. Everything happened very fast after that. Tank took two running steps toward the bullies, stretching to reach for the concrete, and then taking two more giant, powerful steps. 
He threw the thing with all his might. He heard his shoulder creak and his muscles rip. He imbued the block with all that heat that had been growing within him, forcing it through his blood into the card and then into the concrete. Ace lifted his head off Ben's shoulder to taunt Tanner further, and through the worst possible timing was hit directly above the bridge of his nose. Ace never felt it crush his skull, but just as quickly as that, Tanner ended his reign of terror. Tanner heard screaming but had no idea what he had done. He only knew that he had fought back. Tanner grabbed his pained shoulder and started to run, wanting to go home, but knowing he couldn't go there. He knew Ace was going to get him for this, so he ran to the only place he felt he could be safe, the only place where he could be protected. He ran to the police station. Tanner was held in protective custody for three days. Province had no idea things had progressed so far for her son, to the point that he would throw stones at other boys. She made a resolution to care for him more, to pay attention to him, and nurture his growing needs rather than push her own desires. Tanner, on the other hand, was worried more about where the card was than about what was going to happen to him. His power, his strength, and his willfulness were directly attributable, at least in his mind, to the card. The attraction to females, the use of his penis for pleasure rather than mere urination, the strength to stand up for himself, and the growth of his self-esteem all now seemed to be void in its absence. Guilt filled that void, more even than the guilt of his first wet dream, because he had ended someone's life. As much as he felt he had done a service to mankind with the dispatching of Ace, he felt cold. On the fourth day, Tanner's mother took him to school. He sat in the car with his head lowered, depressed, and terrified of what his classmates would do to him. The school rose in the window, and a vision of what this place had meant to him before came back to him. It looked like a prison. He'd be stuck here all day without the protection offered by the police, or the comfort of his mother. He'd be alone. They pulled up front, and Tanner grabbed for his backpack in the back seat, sighing as he did so. Province grabbed his arm and forced him to look at her. Tanner, you're a man now. Be good, she nodded, as if to give meaning and purpose. Province meant that, after what he'd been through, other children at school would either be scared of him or would look up to him. He was a role model now whether he liked it or not. He had to be careful to show his contrition. Tanner took his mother to mean that now that he had killed, he was a man. And that gave him the power of fear, which Tanner took as a burden. He sat with the backpack, now pulled into his lap, and thought about it. He had once been terrified of those kids, what they would do, what they would say, and rather than push through it, he had become shy. Now it was his peers who would feel that fear. He had to be careful because now he was Ace. Ben Massey and Carlos Williams were standing in front of the school waiting for him. When Tanner saw them, he paused and said a prayer as they walked over, 
Hey, Tanner. Um, hey. It was Carlos. Tanner stopped and stared as the two bullies closed the distance. His eyes scanned the few students milling around before the bell rang in hopes of finding someone to interject, at least long enough for the bell to ring. But no one was looking, except for Roberta Simmons. She had a disgusted look on her face and spit in his direction before whipping around and storming off. One thing repeated in his mind. He was ace now. Tan the man, Ben laughed. I was wondering, he began as he closed the gap. Tanner could only imagine what these two were up to. The two who had beaten him to the point of unconsciousness. They seemed amiable now, as if they were scared of him. But he couldn't be sure. What's up? Hey, dude. You should, you know, like, let us kind of follow you? It shouldn't have been a question. But there was undoubtedly a raise at the end of his sentence. Tanner thought back to what his mother had said in the car. He was taller than they were. Anytime. Tanner looked past their relieved faces, searching for Roberta, but she had gone. Instead, his eyes caught Darla Wallace. Darla? She was prettier than Roberta. His now only slightly chubby cheeks rose into a smile and he ascended the small staircase that led to the school. He glanced down at the spot where Ace had been standing when he was hit. Down at the side of the staircase was a playing card. Its face was down, so he couldn't tell what it was. But it looked old and well-loved. It looked like his Ace. Tanner glanced at Carlos, who was looking at him reverentially. Leave it. You don't need it. Tanner said out loud, thinking of his mother's words and then of Ace's malicious sneer. I'm a man now. <laughs>